0: So, Berto, a while ago at the live event, you said to me that you wanted to do an episode on Piaget, and also some other uh, patrons have asked us to talk about it. Yeah. Why do you want to talk about Jean Piaget? So, my father um, was a child psychiatrist,
1: and so growing up, he had many textbooks in his room, and several of them were Piaget. Uh, I even misremembered the other day thinking that On Death and Dying was one of them, but you corrected that. But, um, but I, I remember seeing all these books, and the name also was unusual because it it's a French name, you know, and so I didn't come across a lot of French names uh, on a daily basis, and I, it just would stand out, and I remember asking him a lot of questions. Oh, what's that? What's that book about? And so, oh, they were also about kids, right? Like they had <laughs> pictures of kids and all these things. So I remember, like, oh, what's this? And it seemed fun to me. Right. Like, is this a fun thing? And but I remember my dad talking quite a bit about it, and I got really interested in that. And then as I grew older and I got interested in my current profession, it turned out that Piaget uh, had a, there was a lot of relationship to that.
0: All right, well, let's talk about Jean Piaget today. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm also a professor in a marriage and family therapy program at Antioch University, Seattle. Who are you, Berto? My name is Humberto Castaneda, and I teach Romantic French. So, some caveats here is that I'm not an expert on Piaget or developmental psychology or child development. It's... Something that as a therapist and as a professor, I can speak to with some authority, but there are people out there who uh, know a lot more about this than I do. You know, there are certain topics, for example, st- psychotherapy mm-hmm. topics, I, I can speak, um, I, I can't. I, I can't imagine someone. I can't imagine going to a seminar and hearing another psychotherapist talk and and have me go like, oh my god, that person is more of an expert than I am. Right. You know, I that I can't imagine. They might have other ideas, yeah, but but you've spent so much of your time on that thinking, reading, yeah. <clears throat> doing. You know, whereas child development, in my you know, there are plenty of people <laughs> yeah. who know a lot. It's a very complex, deep topic, and. Right. And Piaget yeah. is almost kind of like the simplest sort of introduction into the field. It right. was like the start of the field in a way, right? Which yeah. we'll get into. Um, it's a highly technical field. Lots of research, uh, you know, yep. neurology, micro differences of yeah. the of the object permanence, you know, by yeah, yeah. different tiny little stages, and and it, it gets very complicated. So uh, and. Since I'm not an expert, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make mistakes on the lingo and some of the details. So right. I apologize for that. And it's getting hot, very hot, as it relates to my field of Romantic French. Right. So personal life. Born in 1896 in a French-speaking region of Switzerland. So he's not French, technically. Or his, his mother is, a, is French, but his father was Swiss professor of medieval literature and he's the oldest son which might be a factor because he observed his younger siblings while he was growing up. Mm-hmm. At university he became interested in psychoanalysis and he moved to Paris and taught for a school for taught at a school for boys. Uh, that school was run by Alfred Binet, the developer of the Stanford-Binet intelligence scales. Right. So very influential uh, time of his life. Piaget administered and scored these tests himself and he noticed that young children answered the test differently uh than older children did and he wondered if there might be different cognitive stages development. This is when he started to wonder about that.
1: Uh by the way, didn't he also learn under Carl Jung, Jung at some point?
0: Uh I that I didn't come across okay. that, but I wouldn't doubt it, um, being a Swiss yeah, man th- around I the same I heard time. That. Okay. Um there weren't you know back then there were so few psychoanalysts <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> that it was probably likely that you would bump into people right, you know right. 1921 he returned to switzerland as a director of an institute 23 he got married he had three children and piaget for his whole children's lives he studied his own kids right 1920s he worked as a psychologist he studied child development he began testing children himself He also became a professor and he started to develop his ideas of early cognitive development and he started developing his stages, which Mm -hmm. would be called genetic epistemology. From 1929 to 1968, he was the director of the International Bureau of Education. He thought education was very important. He said, only education is capable of saving our societies from possible collapse, whether violent or gradual. Yep. Um, I I think that's... Probably very true. Yeah. And this is at a time when compulsory child education was not... not a thing. It was not a thing, you know. Uh, There were plenty of people that were being, you know, pulled out of school early or didn't go to school at all. People saw him as a keen observer of children. He pointed out many things that had never been really described in science although it should be said that probably parents have always seen these developmental stages in kids but just didn't really you know, right. codify them. His ideas were kind of ignored until the 60s and 70s, interestingly. He became kind of rediscovered in the 60s uh, while he was still alive because up until that point, behaviorism, Skinner, it really dominated the field of uh-huh. psychology and child development. Um, but it failed to... Uh, really describe the th- sort of things that Piaget was looking at right. um, and it also didn't consider a, a mind occurring and developing because, you know, de- behaviorism is all about observation and yeah. so they avoid anything, anything having to do with like um, the development of a of a mind. Anyway, Piaget died in 1980 and in uh, later on in life, Piaget was still being referenced a lot and he's Second only to Skinner as the most cited psychologist from his time. It's funny you said Piaget died in 1980, and later on in life, he was still being acknowledged. <laughs> <laughs> Weird statement, I said. He had a lot of ideas about education and children. He thought that children should seek solutions themselves and not be taught solutions. He thought that kids should that teachers should facilitate learning, not direct learning. He thought that uh, children's level of thinking should be considered and not—they um, yeah. sh- they shouldn't be, like, routed into a particular kind of activity. They sh- the, the, the child's sort of individual skills should be considered, yeah. that teachers need to assess children over time in terms of their abilities and what they should be trying to help them with. Uh, Piaget also thought that children shouldn't be pushed too much which is just so interesting because he he noticed decades ago that American children were pushing their kids too much. Right. And it's like if he was alive today, my He'd God, be horrified. My God, you know. He also thought that the classroom should be a place of discovery and experimentation. Yeah. And I have to say that when I was a kid – uh, there were pockets of very Piaget even, <laughs> uh, education that I was uh-huh. in. Like, I there were classrooms that I am thinking were at least influenced by him. Wow! Where we would have uh, little like stations, like we had a computer and then a um, where you could plant and grow things. Was it a Montessori environment? No, I no, not officially. Okay, but there were, and then I would the next year I'd be in a. Totally, totally normal, oh, like didactic, sit in rows. I wonder of if it
1: mattered based on who your teacher was or something.
0: Yeah, there were also these different programs. Like okay. one program was called TLC, which was the Learning Community oh, okay. that I was involved in. Uh, that my parents signed me up for, which is a bit of a, a blessing and a curse, really. I could, like this is all because you were super slow. <laughs> yeah, actually, <laughs> actually, so just to you know point a point out something about that was that the first tlc class that i took was in the fifth grade and up until that point i considered myself to be average or even below average student. Really? yeah i mean i think average at least um bec- or you know somewhere around there mostly because i've always been a really slow reader and my verbal skills compared to other skills are not it's not as good i see um so you thought like oh just kind of hard to learn things or something well, I just compared myself third, second grade. Yeah. To, it was just like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm pretty much normal. You know, there's nothing. I'm not above average, and and I guess I hope I just fit in well. You know, yeah. But in the fifth grade, we were in this TLC class. And it was go at your own pace. Uh-huh. So you didn't that you you could go fast through the curriculum, or you could go slow. Oh wow! And With so any
1: part of the curriculum, or yeah, everything,
0: okay. everything. So like there were certain things that the teachers would teach, but the activities and the book exercises mm-hmm. and everything you just did at your own pace. And I finished the entire curriculum like well before the end of the wow, and I wasn't even working hard. I remember <clears throat> right, and I remember being like, huh. Maybe I'm smart, you know? <laughs> and, and for the first time, I, I thought, am I smart? Because <laughs> you know? math was also starting to get more emphasized, and I was always way better at math than, than reading. Right. And so, um, anyway.
1: I had, a, I had a very similar experience, actually, because I think I might have said this before. Uh, when I was – I started first grade in New York City. And I went to first grade, all of first grade in New, New York, York City. New York City, land of pretty. I was in Queens, in PS sixty nine. If anyone knows that school, uh, that's where I went. Uh, I was in first grade, and uh, it was hard, as far as I remember, because I was first of all, I had a crush on this girl, on this girl named Nicole, who didn't know I was alive. Uh, I called her Nickel because I didn't know how to pronounce it. So <laughs> nickel. And there was this guy in in third grade who was. Who I remember bullied me, pushed me down the stairs one time, stuff like that. Oh my god! And as far as school, I was just trying to keep up, right? Then second grade started, and then I think I got in maybe not even halfway, but maybe it was maybe it was halfway. And then uh, we moved, or I moved back to Colombia, and I started in second grade in, in Bogota. Second grade in Bogota was like probably third grade, no, yeah, third or even fourth grade in New York City. So, I was lost. Wow. And so, they had to move me back down to first grade. And even in first grade, I was struggling with the math.
0: Why would Columbia be so much harder for kids? Well, these were private schools, but I don't know. And also, they have one less year.
1: Like, they graduate at 11th grade. And yet, they graduate with mandatory physics, mandatory chemistry, mandatory calculus, mandatory all these things. Anyways, whatever the case may be, I was so struggling. I got moved back down to first grade. I was still struggling. I got when I got back to second grade, I was so bad at the math they had to give me a tutor. Wow. I I was so as far as I knew. Then I got to third grade and I was getting in trouble that I didn't. I hadn't. You know, I've told so many stories and, and I was like, oh, I didn't feel like I was good at anything in school. I got to fourth grade and we were doing long division and I was like, oh my god, this is so hard. And and then everything else was memorizing factoids and things and we had Bible class and got to fifth grade. And what started happening, so this is funny that you're saying fifth grade, I started doing more learning at home on, on other topics. Like I I really loved science and my dad had all these magazines that were like Scientific American and uh, Discover and others and things. And I would start reading articles. Your and dad like, had a subscription
0: to Scientific American? And science too. Wow.
1: Yeah. And, um, and so I started really got, kind of getting into that. Then by the time sixth grade hit, I started getting into math at home and I started reading advanced out like hand like books that were not even books we were cover at school. And that's when I started getting like both geeky and really into certain aspects of, of math and science and all these things. Um and then the, what also started happening is I actually was really good at if I listened to the lecture, I could ace the test. Right? And then I was pretty good at cramming. So right around then, I started actually being really good at cramming for things, passing tests, but terrible, terrible at long-term projects. Mm. So I I learned one good lesson and one bad one. The good one was, okay, I guess I'm not so terrible at this educational stuff (laughs) as long as I apply it to things I care about. And then the bad one was, oh, and I can pretty much cram for anything and be okay. You're still kind of that way, aren't you? Well, but but I... uh, Yes, but compared to compared to but what I, what, what, you but, so, what but happened? I, but like
0: one of the thing, I mean, just one domain of your life is yeah. is music. Sure, yes, yes. Like yes, you're yes. you you're an amazing musician, songwriter, and in the moment you yeah. can really get something done. Yeah, right. But the, the pressure but, the pressure's on. <laughs> but right, like yeah. you know, we got a gig tonight. Like yeah. you can you back when we were in a band together, you would get all the gear yeah, you know yeah. just like all the stage lights and everything i'm good know. at
1: deadlines for sure yeah
0: but to actually record one of your own albums <laughs>
1: you yes. know which is
0: a long-term yes. activity your your yes. piano album you've been working on for and, for eight years now and that I and actually, i'm still waiting for it right that i actually attribute literally eight years yeah and a lot of money which yes. we, won't, we won't name. We will no go, yes. Whatever number you have out there in your mind, <laughs> listeners, times that by probably 10 or 20. Damage. So, so I, that
1: is actually the lingering damage that I suffered from not getting those tools early enough in life.
0: Well, related to Piaget, like, what could we say would have made the difference? Like, edu- I, okay, education. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you or, what it
1: is. Um, I was, take, take math for example. At home, my dad was so excited that I got into math. But there there were a couple things. One is my dad himself was not good at math. So whenever I would get stuck, he couldn't help get me unstuck. Not only because he couldn't help me literally, but he also didn't seem to Realized that there were other avenues for him to help me get unstuck, like maybe connect me with one of the teachers from the school, or maybe find someone else in the family or another friend or something. That didn't happen. And he, so we just
0: sort of give up. Like, know.
1: like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what that is, right? That was the one thing. The second thing is him and I had this thing that I actually loved doing, but was ended up contributing to the problem. Friday night would roll around. And we'd have these great things where like, we'd turn on music, he would be reading a book, and I would start doing some deep activity. Maybe it was building Legos, but maybe it was programming, maybe it was doing math, things like that. And I was allowed to sort of stay up indefinitely working on these projects. And if I wanted to obsess over it over the weekend, I could. But I never got the tool or the, the, the structure of, hey, it's okay to put it down, go to sleep. Tomorrow will continue and then the thing of the following week going hey let's k- take that project back up where we left it off that never happened
0: well and, and you know a little zooming out your dad if you want to talk about this sure. probably or tell me yeah. also has a problem with long-term planning right
1: yes definitely like,
0: and yet like it's like a pretty pretty bad case of of it
1: yeah but but so what's what's interesting about it is Clearly, my dad had the capability of getting all the way through all the education he had to get to to get a child psychiatry degree. Which involves potentially a lot of cramming. It might be, well, and or constant work. So, maybe there's not even a chance to not do work because you're always doing work or something. Yeah. But either way, he's actually fairly methodical when it comes to studying. Like, he would grab a book, he would grab highlighter he would highlight all the things he didn't understand he would go research them then he would put all these little notes and then he would like lay siege to the book i never did that right i was like read and if i didn't understand something i'd reread it and then that was it i would never take notes so i would never do anything but my dad had this very methodical thing about that but you're right long-term planning like how do we what is the outcome we want in ten years? Let alone, or one year? Let alone five years? Let alone ten years? Right. That didn't seem to have there. There wasn't that, yeah. And so I, I personally never saw that firsthand, nor was I given those tools. And maybe there is some some genetic aspects too. I don't know, but whatever the case may be, that is the biggest struggle that I had as a child, and l- and definitely transferred into adulthood.
0: Well, Piaget has something to say about that, so let's get into that. Do you know how many stages he had, Berto? Four, four stages. Um, so it, I, I will say in in terms of context, in terms of the overall child development field, he his four stages are just a small, tiny little part. In fact, I would imagine that some child development specialists don't even remember Piaget from their undergraduate studies, Do you know what I mean? so so that's why, they, plus, Piaget only focused on a particular area of child development. Sure. Uh he didn't go into morality or, or neuro obviously because they didn't know much about that back then. Socialization, culture, memory, right. a- attention, sexuality, language, general intelligence, achievement, emotional intelligence, identity, personality, yep. etc. So so it's a it's a very specific slice yeah. of of a look at um, certain elements and domains of child development.
1: Yeah. And uh, what I, to play a little bit of uh, Piaget advocate, I think he might argue that, uh, although that he probably would say, like, yeah, well, I definitely sp- focused on what I focused on. But I think he might argue that he saw the conclusions of what those stages meant as being impacting almost everything else about the child. Certainly.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah you could, you could go for that. Um, so. Stage one, sensory motor stage. This is from birth to age two. This is when infants gain knowledge about the world through their physical interactions with the world. And yeah. all you have to do is, is see an infant to know that they right. they there's you know you put the kid the six month down they're sitting up maybe they're crawling a little bit they they like to grab things put it in their mouth they like to rattle things they like to roll around on things. They yeah. like to put things in their face. You know, it's just about <laughs> like, like to put fingers in sockets. <laughs> yeah. It's just about like, um, you know, like things that they can grab or things that will go at their face yeah. and things that they can feel and, and sense. So it's, so, you know, the senses in terms of hearing and sight and, and That's touch right. and smell and also your motor abilities develop really quickly because yeah. you think about a newborn they have no idea what they're sensing yeah. you know they're they're sensing the entire world but have no idea how to differentiate anything right. and over time this you know it's like oh that's what that feels like and that's the, yeah. and then the ability to reach out and the ability to crawl the ability to you know, very quick development in that yeah. area they have some some
1: built-in programs that they're not even aware that they have And those let them start building new little programs. And they they, they know that, they don't know, but they have the program of crying when they feel certain feelings. (laughs) Yeah. And they have, like you're saying, they have the program of gripping or, you know, closing certain muscles when they feel certain things on their skin of their palm. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And the programming of pay attention to your parents' faces. Yeah. Uh, and look to them for comfort right. and for cues about how to feel. Now, this 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 stage again, from zero to two years, is is delineated into six sub stages. So we have zero to one month is simple reflexes. So infants use reflexes such as sucking. It's it's very it's mostly considered a reflex, not something that they yeah. decide to do. You know, it's, it's not like a later infant where it's like I'm going to decide to reach out. And grab the cat, do you know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? that yeah. that's not a reflex. That's right. a that's a choice that the that the infant is making. Yeah. But early on, it's just simple reflex, which
1: makes sense because that's how they get the milk, <laughs> right?
0: That's all that's all they need to do at that point. Yeah. Uh, the second substage is uh, one to four months, which is called first habits and primary circular reactions. Um, infants learn to coordinate with sensation. For example, when an infant accidentally sucks their thumb, and they're like, "Oh, that." what was that you know it's like the sucking of the sucking of a thumb again isn't like oh i bet you if i sucked my thumb that would be an approximation for you know suckling of the breast right.
1: it's more like an accidental variant of some motion they did and they're right like oh
0: right <laughs> that the arms you just watch an infant you know their yeah. arms are just kind of waving around you know and then all and then sometimes you'll see them accidentally hit themselves in their face yep. they'll yeah. be like bonk and they'll be like Aah! You know, and you're just like, yeah. hey, you hit yourself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they don't know, right? right. They they don't even know their arms are attached to their body, really. Right. You know, they're just like, Arr. and then one random time, their thumb goes in their mouth, and, and they're like, ooh, you know, is this the nipple? Yeah. And they're like, well, it's not a nipple, but it, you know, it, it feels soothes right? me. And then, then you know, right. by month four, they they can be like when I when I do this with my arm and a thumb goes in my mouth, like it, it actually yes, exactly. helps me out. Um, then they go into secondary circular reactions, which is four to eight months about, they become aware of objects outside their body, like a rattle or mm-hmm. or a cat or something. You know, there's like, this is me and that that is something else. Yeah. Whereas prior to that, infants actually don't, they don't have any way of differentiating self from the outside world. It's just like, Everything is is them. We are all one. <laughs> yeah.
1: They're very zen at that stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, then they go on to coordination of, of secondary circular reactions, eight, eight to 12 months. They really learn that they can affect the world, and they begin to use tools to get what they want. Right. So they can throw a block at something, or they can, I don't know, maybe use crayons if they're coordinated enough or something. We, we should also point out that...
1: Um, The older you get, the less well demarked these regions of time become when you... For example, when you're a fetus, it's like you can draw a chart pretty accurately of every stage of the fetal development. And then you're born in like, yeah, the first week, usually most babies do the following and then the second month and then the third month. Then as you get closer to the year mark and then the two-year mark and on, then babies start varying all over the place and kids start varying all over the place.
0: Right. I mean... In terms of variance, there are people who develop slower, slower or faster based on different things. But uh, another way of putting it mathematically is that when your stage is one to or zero to one month, yeah. then the variance percentage-wise, if you go if you go fifty yeah. percent off the mark, then you're at one and a half months. Yeah. Whereas when your stage is from 11 to 16, exactly, yeah. and you go 50% off, you're talking about like four, <laughs> four years, years right. you know what I mean?
1: And then, uh, yeah, like it's one of the, the things that they found as they studied this across the world was that, uh, especially the latter stages, uh, the less educated, the poorer areas, they had years difference sometimes with
0: the, the right. stages. Right. It's, that's actually one of the critiques of Piaget is that, he was basically claiming this was a universal human stage thing when but when they actually, and he downplayed education and culture uh, apparently apparently one of the critiques is that culture uh, you know once they actually started to research it which piaget didn't have the luxury of being able to look at those studies well, plays a large yeah, role
1: to 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 be fair though like what he actually what he said was that the stages were universal But the exact time frames varied.
0: Yeah. But I'm just saying what, yeah, that's true. But I'm just saying one of the critiques is that he didn't emphasize culture and society and education enough. enough, Which Which makes sense because, like you said, it'd be
1: hard to study all that right off the bat.
0: Right. And everyone was like that back then. I mean, it was just, it was like, it was a common sort of misunderstanding. I saw
1: an interview of him when he was pretty advanced in age, he was probably in his 70s like so before he died obviously but pretty pretty advanced in age and he was talking about this so i think towards the latter part of his life he started amending his perception of the of the brackets of time because of some of that right. criticism
0: yeah i mean just to talk a little bit about the history of psychology and stages you know we have you were talking about uh, on death and dying you know elizabeth kubler ross her for five stages of grief and Piaget and his four stages of right. cognitive development, and you had Freud in his his stages of psychosexual development, yeah. Th- and that those are just the the famous ones. Yeah, you know, or Maslow's stages, the hierarchy, of hierarchy yeah. blah blah. And there was this temptation, you know, back in the early part of in the later eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, to maybe even up till the sixties, the idea that was that in science you reduced things to particular elements for example in physics there was a time when we didn't understand atoms right we didn't understand atomic physics we just we we noticed certain qualities of of like materials but we didn't know why and as we got to look you know with smaller and smaller we're like oh the fundamental you know uh, thing or element here in this in this material is these is this thing called the atom, a proton yeah. with neutrons and el- electrons, and then of course we went even further to, to quarks right. and other kinds of things. But the point is, is that the discovery process was to re- uh, was to reduce mm-hmm. reduce nature to its to its smallest elements, and then from there you can understand the bigger picture. The only way to understand the macro is to understand the micro. And categorizing was huge, right? Yeah, you you need things to be like this and that. Uh, this species versus that right. species, and um, you know stars versus planets and and it was it was very discreet and and was not that problematic in a lot of different areas. but when you actually look at humans, it's really hard to do that, but that was the effort was like yeah. we need stages and right. we need to reduce it down to one particular thing that we can say is true about psychology, right. but uh, which has become abundantly clear. By the, with all the efforts up until twenty eighteen, yeah. that that reductionistic thinking does not help. There's nothing wrong with incorporating some of that into your scientific endeavor and your philosophy of trying to understand humans, yeah. but it really, really drives you in directions that m- makes you ignore uh, the real thing that is happening, which is the macro. You know, yeah. you have to look at the macro, and there really isn't a micro. There really isn't a, a you know a small unit of psychology that everything emerges from right but these stages were were attempts at trying to do that and it it, it was very attractive people really took to it and and loved it you know what i mean and and one thing that's very useful just like you could do it with medical stages like think
1: think if we if we thought of kids as fully grown adult bodies and we treated them medically as such Right, All the ridiculous things we'd run into, right? Right. Well, similarly, imagine if we actually ignored that there are stages, even though they're gray and it's bell curves and not real straight lines or anything, but that there are stages of development. So if we were trying to teach a toddler things that they physically are not ready to understand – well, that that is both a waste of time, potentially damaging all these other things. Right. Yeah,
0: Piaget's stages are some of the few stages that actually hold up. Right. There were countless other stages. I see. Okay. The five stages of grief, for example, are completely non-verifiable. Okay, so you're saying that in general,
1: there's tons of stage kind of work that... Doesn't actually hold up. <laughs> yeah,
0: like this stage of individual development in terms of like you ha you get married at twenty two and you have kids by twenty five and you get you know sure. you you get um, you retire at this age. You know like there were these life stages that people right. tra- You know it was, it was just very attractive and basically. What it ended up just only doing is describing a particular culture, mm. which, you know, doesn't obviously apply to other people. Anyway, let's take a break. and When we get back, let's go on to the other stages. And maybe we can sprinkle in some examples from our own life Yay. that exhibit some of these transitions. I don't remember being eight months old, so <laughs> we haven't got – so what do you say, Bruno? Let's do it. All right, we're back from the break. If you haven't become a patron of the podcast yet, what are you doing with your life? I mean, come on. Yeah, this, yeah. The, come on. Now, what stage of development are you at? Now, <laughs> Now's the time. <laughs> now's the time. Uh, and also, if you want to join the Facebook fan group, you can go there and interact with Burdo and all the other uh, patrons, uh, along with famous patron Lyndon. Yes, Also, if you can review us on iTunes, that'd be cool. I always hear other podcasters saying, review us on iTunes. And so I just figure that must be, there must be a good reason for that. Definitely review us. Yeah. Um, Also, like our Facebook group, our Facebook uh, page. So we have a Facebook page and we have a Facebook fan group. That's right. If you like the Facebook page, you can play our Tuesday Tougher Bluff games, which um, generate a fair amount of interest. Fun. So, for instance, the last one that we did was, Tougher Bluff, Birdo, people who smoke marijuana have more sex on average. What do you think? Mm. Tougher Bluff. I'm going to go Bluff because
1: they're like, oh, man, we should totally have sex. We should totally do sex. But then the other person's like, yeah, yeah. But should we get a bite to eat first? It's like, yeah, yeah, let's get a grubby grubby grub and so they go and they get a grubby grub grub and they get really full and then they're like do you still want to have sex it's like i don't feel so sexy anymore because
0: i feel really full
1: and i'm still hungry Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) so uh i can tell you that birdo is wrong but if you want to know the real answer you have to go to our facebook page Uh nice teaser (laughs) (laughs) all right uh, eight to twelve months coordination of secondary circular reactions uh, this is when they learn that they can affect the world and begin to use tools to get what they want, and they begin to understand object permanence but um, uh, but it's sort of there's different gradations to that yeah there's there's a whole set of different stages to object permanence that that infants and children will go through but but at about eight to twelve months, infants start to realize that when they can 't see something. That doesn't mean it has completely been annihilated. Right. You put a ball underneath a blanket, and it and the kid at this stage will uh, begin to be able to say, "Oh, the ball is under the blanket. It's not. It's not right. gone." Whereas, to a four or six month old, you put the ball under the blanket, and it's gone. It's gone, <laughs> and and you'll see infants do that. You'll you'll take something away from them temporarily and and if they can't see it, they will cry. They'll just be like, it's gone. And then you just put it back in their field of view even though they can't possess it and they stop crying. They're like, oh, it's back, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, and what's funny too is it's not even
1: that it is, because you know, obviously they don't have language, right? So one could argue that it could just have to do with accessibility to something and that what makes them cry is lack of accessibility to something yeah. whether or not some recess of their brain has data about the path that thing took or not becomes irrelevant because they cannot access it as far as they're concerned right so we don't it's not like in their brain they're going like that object has disappeared right all that's happening is they're like accessibility to object denied
0: Blah! well i think they come at this from a lot of angles sure. and actually again without language it's hard to know for sure but i think they sufficiently demonstrate that children don't actually they don't actually think it's been it's been either eliminated yeah. or just I,
1: I, yeah i'm making just sort of a, a semantic useless argument but i'm ultimately saying What's funny is we're using words to describe what the child is or is not understanding, right, but they don't have words right
0: so it's and that, <laughs> and that's actually one of the critiques that I think is yeah. interesting is that a lot of times these studies and you can and we'll talk about them a little bit further uh, and you can actually there's a fair amount of them on youtube, where actually amateurs are doing experiments on their children yeah <laughs> um but, and they're not they're not harmful experiments, they're just you know electrodes uh, there. <laughs> yeah like bursts and um you, and sometimes a critique is coming up of, of just like, well, do they even know what you're asking them? Is is one of the critiques? Because anyway, but f- the classic object permanence uh, activity is what with an infant that you do peekaboo. Right. So <laughs> so th- so when you cover your face with your hands, the and then you. And then you remove the hands. Yes. The child believes you have just appeared out of nowhere. <laughs> right. they, they believe you have disappeared and appeared. Right. Um, and you can get the exact same reaction from a baby if you actually leave the room and then run back in the room. Right. You know, so it's not just the hands. It's like th- they love just to, to they it's sort of an early version of humor in fact it might be like the very first funny thing that that babies right. you know find to be funny is because right. they're so interested in you and your face yeah that
1: you know I, I believe you and i got in a debate about this but, but i don't know where you land on this now but since you even said it since humor is so much about surprise yeah that is a surprising result to them right right it's like oh World has been occluded.
0: Well, and, there's Dada, <laughs> and it's also tragedy averted, right? right. It, it, or is that the yeah, first? yeah, yeah? yeah. Right. So it's like, oh my God, Dada has been eliminated from the planet. Right? He is. He is. He's. He no
1: longer have Dada.
0: He's gone. Yes. He has been completely erased from existence. Oh wait!
1: No, no, never mind. Uh, call he, off the.
0: <laughs> he's back. Yes, isn't that funny? Right. Like the first time Dada left, or the first hundred times Dada left, I was in distress. I thought he was just gone. He's never yeah. coming back because if I can't see it, it doesn't exist. Right. But I oh, maybe some things come back from existence that right. have are eliminated. Dada has been eliminated. Is he coming back? Oh, he's back. Oh, my God. How great is that? That right. tragedy, you know, something right. tragic just happened, and then it wasn't happening. Right. I'm laughing. This is great. By the way, to uh, belabor one idea, so because one
1: possibility is that um, the pleasure centers at that age are only getting triggered by photon detection. You know, like not photon detection, patterns of photons detected. So so you're sitting there, and in fact, it is a fact that the, the photon information you are now receiving does not include the face of Dada, right? Your father is not in that picture. So it is true that since your only contact with the world at that point is through these senses, and one of the main sense at that point like your your eyes, well, maybe it's skin, but like one of the main senses at that point is in fact not receiving that sensory information that your uh, the rest of your little th- uh, pleasure centers and everything are not getting fired. You're not getting that pleasure. You're not getting that s- safety and all these things. So in, a, in an actual real way, that has been eliminated from your world. Now, because we know we have all this other context. We're like, Well, but in this grander sense, it hasn't been eliminated from your world. But to the baby's reality, it has been eliminated because the photons are not
0: coming to my face. Right. That's one (laughs) way to look at it. And the last sub-stage of the first stage of sensory motor stage is tertiary circular reactions, novelty, and curiosity, which happens between 12 and 18 months. And they experiment with objects to see what they can do with them. So this is when infants will actually start to say like... Can I stack these? Mm -hmm. Can I throw them at sister? (laughs) Can I eat them? Can I, you know, like, what could I do with this thing, you know? Um, And then, actually, that's the second to last. The last one is internalization of Schemata, but we won't go into that one. Okay, so the second stage of Piaget is called the pre-operational stage. This is from two to seven years, and it basically begins with being able to speak, and this is when children begin to understand the world symbolically. For example, a toy car represents a real car. Right. So obviously this is when children can play and pretend. Yeah. They can, uh, you know, they can... When I was at this stage, I had Legos and would, would make things and would pretend with them. Yeah. And, you know, this... And it was a whole world I could live in, you know. Uh, did you do that, Blake?
1: Oh, yes. I mean... I entertained myself most of the time because I was, you know, an only child uh, effectively for most of my childhood. So, yeah, absolutely. And my my dad and most of the adults indulged such behaviors. So I had rich, rich fantasy experiences.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was the same for me because I I was kind of an only child because my older brother and sister were like seven years older than me. Yeah, right. And were. Just ancient seeming to me, yeah. And also, were kind of like parents to me. You know, yeah. they they didn't treat me like a sibling. They treated me more like they were one of their kids. Mm. And so I felt like an only kid. You know, my parents had each other. My older brother and sister had each other, and then there like. was just me. And so yeah, I I had to entertain myself a lot. And and the the phrase that my family had when I was young was "Kirk's always in his own world." I <laughs> would say, yeah. Um. So this is when children are able to form magical beliefs, such as Santa Claus and right. and other kinds of things. I, I had a rich imaginary friend world for a while. I had I had three imaginary friends, Gigi, Jeff, and Jamie. You, and, you mentioned that. And we would talk a lot. I don't know why they all started with a J sound. Um, and incidentally, I had never heard of the name Gigi or Jamie. Really? I, I think I had made those names up. <laughs> I remember thinking that Gigi and Jamie had very weird names. Okay. And then later on in life, like, you know, I was 10, I heard of a, someone named Gigi, and I was like, oh, because Gigi's not a common...
1: fact, It's one of my songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So, um... So yeah, imaginary friends, and I also had stuffed animals that had extremely complicated lives with me. You know, very. Oh, that I had for sure. Yeah. Cause I mentioned I didn't have,
1: uh, uh, imaginary friends. friends, but I had uh, stuffies and and toys that absolutely played huge, uh, personified roles in my life.
0: Right. So, this also has to do with another element of this phase that Piaget recognized, which is animism, or objects having human minds, essentially. Yep. And uh, children actually have a hard time conceiving that something that they have attached a a human mind to wouldn't have a human mind, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, you know, this doll is not alive. Right. And it does not care. And if you rip its head off and throw it into a shredder, yeah. nothing bad is happening. Right. Whereas uh, someone at this phase would absolutely feel as though something bad they would they yeah, well, wouldn't I I they never left that phase. <laughs> they, they wouldn't be able to uh, kind of check in and go like, well, okay, I, I know it's not actually like a real thing. So I, I don't like
1: I have this toy still, this little stuffed Winnie the Pooh. It was my little Winnie the Pusito. I've talked about him before. He was my little... I had a blankie, and I had Winnie the Pusito. <laughs> right, right. Pusito. L- litt- little poo. Little poo. Little shit. I I love that thing. And even to this day, I still have it. It's missing its little nose. It's wearing a Mickey Mouse shirt because I lost its original Winnie the Pooh shirt. But you know what? I could not even imagine... Harming that little thing. Yeah, I, I don't st- know if
0: I left that stage. I still have a stuffed animal dog named Sam, and it's in my nightstand. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, but uh, I listened to a podcast about Winnie the Pooh. They were trying to figure out how old Winnie the Pooh was. Oh, because it's not clear. Sure. How, so, how old would was Winnie the Pooh to you?
1: Right. Well, to me, Winnie the Pooh was like an adult. But uh, yeah, like an adult, but not like my dad's age. It was probably younger than my dad
0: okay but it's, like he he doesn't wear pants and he <laughs> he like isn't responsible you know
1: all of the inhabitants of the hundred acre wood to me were older than me
0: interesting in my mind yeah speak. Well, the, the podcast I listened to, they did a full analysis, and they they landed on that he's he's a kid, he's like five or something. Oh, really? Yeah. Even though the the voice actor in the cartoon is right. like an old man, anyway.
1: That's interesting. Well, it makes sense based on the conclusions Winnie the Pooh reaches; those are childlike conclusions.
0: Right, right. And you know, his buddy, the human Robin, is Christopher his name? Robin. Christopher Robin, isn't he often kind of like helping Winnie the Pooh? Yeah. Out? Like, and I always oh, thought of poo. Christopher
1: Robin as a much older child than But, me, but Christopher Robin's
0: like eight or something. Probably, yeah. yeah. So so by de- that definition, Winnie the Pooh's younger, right? Anyway. Yeah. So again, pre-operational stage, two to seven years. Uh, children are illogical at this time. Uh, they don't really understand uh, how things work. For example, they they don't understand concrete logic and, and they can't mentally manipulate information. For example, at, at some point... Um, so so one of the experiments that they, they'll often use is they'll have two glasses with the same uh, – two identical glasses, right. same amount of liquid in it. And then they take one of the glasses and they pour the liquid into a tall, thin glass. And so the tall, thin glass, it's sort of an optical illusion in, in right. that it looks like it has more – It's taller.
1: It's literally it, taller looking. The level t- of the water is taller.
0: Yeah, and it's so – one would be tempted to believe it has more liquid, yeah. but and children at this stage will say it actually is more liquid. And w- one of the interesting things that I saw was... Uh,
1: by, by the way, one of the... Not, I wouldn't call it criticism because I was like, geez, how many people formed these insightful things at the time that he did, right? Like, clearly, this is only applause-worthy work. But one of the, the things that get lost here is... Um, Two to seven. There are so many other more changes that happen, right? That are not just. It's not. It's not just one stage, really, right? right? Like a two-year-old, is very different from a three-year-old. It's very different from a four-year-old. It's very different. Now, so what? What? The reason I'm saying. One of the reasons I'm saying that is, I saw a thing where a seven-year-old, so right at the cusp, right? What they were. They were doing that experiment, and initially he says, uh, "Yeah, the 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 taller glass has more." Has more water, and so you know, sort of confirming the experiment. But then, when they probed around it, it seemed like a some. It seemed more like a semantics issue, right? Because the the child said, after some clarification, the child said, "Well, there is the same amount of water, but but this one is
0: bigger or whatever. It's like right. something
1: along those lines."
0: Right. That's one of the criticisms that I actually have that yeah. other people have waged too, which yeah. is when you ask a child more they might not semantically differentiate right. more from taller. Right.
1: Now, in his defense, he'd say, like, yeah, know, that's part of the problem. That's part of the thing. Yeah. Like, so you could...
0: But really, yeah. <laughs> what, you know, these experiments are trying to measure is the ability to understand material volumes. Yeah, co- not, conservation
1: of thing. <laughs> right, right, exactly.
0: Yeah. Um Now, I don't doubt that younger children are not as good as older children with that. So I don't think we – but in terms of exactly how do you tease that out experimentally and da-da-da. Children at this stage are also uh, still egocentric, meaning that they have a hard time seeing things from other people's point of view, Uh, mentalization, this kind of thing. Empathy is challenging for them. Mm. Uh, The the classic experiment is they'll have a mountain – and on one side of the mountain will be like a cat, and the other side of the mountain will be a dog. And so they put the kid on one side of the mountain, and they say, "What do you see from your perspective?" And they're like, "Well, I see a mountain and I see a cat." Yeah. And like, okay, great. So now I want you to sit on the other side, and I'll sit where you're sitting. And so you sit on the cat side; they sit on the dog side, and they say, "What do you see?" And, they, and the kid says, "Oh, I see a dog and a mountain." And they and they ask the kid, "What do you think I see?" And the kid will say, you see a dog in a mountain, even though they should say, well, you don't see the dog because you can't, but you see the cat. And so, you know, and again, how do you exactly ask the question so that they understand exactly what you're asking them? You know what I mean? Um, It's hard to know. Right.
1: Because it's also, I even struggle with this. Uh, What am I talking about? No human in the history nor in the future can... Inhabit someone else's mind directly, right? right? So let alone a child really have a concept of what someone else might be seeing. Right. But that's part of the point. Right. They don't have that concept. Right.
0: (laughs) And then they slowly develop that. They develop, it's it's, it's something you learn and it's something they see in typical children that develop at a particular time. Uh, Another uh, uh, developmental experiment is to, um, you put a... Uh, a ball in in a cup and you put it upside down. You ask the, uh, you know, the, someone leaves the room yeah. and then you, you put the ball in the other cup, put it upside down. You ask the person to come back in and then the experimenter asks the kid, where do you think the person who right. walked sure. out and walked back in and where do you think they think the ball is? And they'll point to the new one, <laughs> the, yeah, they'll point to where the ball is rather right. than where they th- where they should point, which is, right. and then at a certain stage around age seven, children are able to say, "Oh, well, he thinks it's still in that one because right. he actually didn't see us move it," and so it's just a cognitive ability that children just don't have. For for me, um, <laughs> the only example I could really think of in my life about this because it's hard to remember the way your brain works at yeah. that stage, but. I remember when I was two or three years old, maybe four, I there was this girl who lived next door. Her name was Becky, and we were friends. We were like good friends because she was a neighbor girl, lived right next door, mm-hmm. played all the time. And I remember this one sunny summer day, and I just – I saw her. We were very close to each other, standing very close to each other, and I remember seeing her cheek, and I just wanted to bite it. Ha! In my head, I just it just looked like something that would be fun to bite, you know, because she had she had these big kind of kid cheeks, you know, and so I just I just grabbed her head and just bit her cheek as hard as I could. Me too. Oh my god! <laughs> and and she started to wail. Of course, <laughs> right? She start, She's crying, and I remember looking at her like, "Well, that's confusing. Like, why does that hurt? You know? Wait, how old were you? Like three or four? Oh my god!" And, and I and I just remember being kind of confused, kind of by my impulse as well, like, why why did I want to do that? Right. And so I thought, well, this isn't probably a good scene, so I'm going to go home. So I just started walking home. <laughs> and by the time I got home, she had gone inside and said something to her mom, and her mom had called my mom on the phone, and by the time I walked in the door, I was in trouble. But I remember just having no kind of concept of, like, the whole scene. I right. Was, I was like, well... But I wanted to do it. Wait, what, so. what's,
1: what's the problem we're having here? Right. right.
0: <laughs> so it's it's an it's an inability. F- now it's hard to know like what was going through my head at the time, but it's possible that that's an example of me <laughs> again in my head. It was it, you know it's very egocentric. It's like right. well I wanted to do it and it, it didn't hurt me. Right. So, why was she screaming? You know what I mean? Yeah. What's your problem, lady? Right. <laughs> it's basically just just psychopathic, right? Yeah. This is the complete inability to empathize, right. which, you know, children have. Right. Um, anyway, another idea during this phase, two to seven, is called centra- centration. This is when you focus on one aspect of a particular thing at a time. Uh, like, um, you know, the example i have from my life uh, i was like 6 or 7 and i was i was running in track mm. cuz my older brother and sister went track and and so it was like well maybe i should join track so that i'm not home alone <laughs> and we you know one of the things that we would run and when you're that small like running around the track the quarter mile is like 2 miles long it just takes forever for kids to run that uh, track when you're that old <laughs> And so the story goes i don 't remember this, but the way my sister tells me is you know they all the crowds would be on one side of the field <laughs> and so they 'd go you know and then i 'd run and i 'd you know be running hard i wasn 't very fast, but i 'd run hard, and then i 'd get to the other side of the track, and I was the youngest kid on the track team all the ki- all the other kids were older <laughs> they, they sort of made an exception to let a super young kid on track because my brother okay. and sister All the other kids would consistently run hard the entire track.
1: You were like Harry Potter. They let you on the team even though you were the youngest. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I get to the other side of the track and I just, I just slow down to like a walk. Oh. Because I am, to me, I'm ages away from anyone watching me. And so I'm like in the weeds now and I'm just like, well, you know, (laughs) I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, who cares, you know? And then I would come around the last turn. And and then my sister would get everyone kind of cheering for me, like, go, Kirk. <laughs> and then and then I'd be like, oh. People okay, are- now I got to run. And then I would run really fast. <laughs> like every time, you know. That's
1: hilarious. So you, so you were like, oh, it's pointless to run right here because no one's cheering me
0: on. <laughs> well, not that so much of like... What was I doing again? You know like oh, I see. You know, like it I don't really care, I, you know, unless someone is is yelling at me. Like I don't remember why I'm doing this. <laughs> you forget this. the point of the thing. Yeah, you know.
1: How old were you there again?
0: <laughs> like 6 or like 7. Six or, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> like all you got to do is watch the, the one of the common things in suburban America that a lot of parents will subject kids to is to play T-ball, right? Yeah. It's like early baseball, right? And you watch these kids, and unless you are right there cheering them on what to do, they have no idea why they're doing it. Right. You know, they're just like, why am I swinging at this? B- okay, okay, swing it, th- okay. And then, you know, you randomly hit the ball, and, and then everyone's like, run! And you're like, what? <laughs> you know, you have no idea. Like, why am I running, you right. know? Okay, stop at the base. And you're like, okay. And then everyone's cheering, and you're like, yay, I did something good. But you have, you have no clue why. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. You're just like... Anyway, so um, that's pretty funny. So I think that's, that's, again, that's an overall inability to use logic to understand the greater reason for everything, you know? Yeah. And to understand rules of baseball. Baseball in particular is complicated. You know what I mean?
1: You know, what's, uh, one thing that's interesting is I have a lot of memories of five because maybe because I was in New York with my dad, and it's just, I have a lot of memories of right around five years old and but in my memories i, I feel sore of like i feel right now meaning right it's hard for me to imagine that line of thinking that's so little right i i i because I, I see the scenes playing out in my head yeah and i see myself as like yeah i was a
0: no i right? I, I, <laughs> I had i was bef- prepping for this episode the exact same experience where right. i was like in my head, I'm like, well, I wasn't like these people because I, I, had, I had logic. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's like, of course I didn't. Right. You know, like like one example, so from this time, is like an inability to, to, to hold a bunch of sequences in your mind. Like, uh-huh. in or, you know, like you, you can focus on one thing at a time. You don't have the ability to hold like five steps. Right. And so I remember at the age of four, I finally was able to tie my shoes by myself. Okay and I and I remember trying to learn how to tie my shoes earlier and and it just seeming completely out of my <laughs> leap you know what I mean right because like there's four or five steps involved right and at the age of four I remember sitting on the steps at my of my parents house they still live there and I think my sister and my mom like helping you know they're like this is what you do and I, right. and I was like okay and then I tried it and they're like no do it like this and then and then I did it on my own and I was like holy crap I just tied my own shoes and like how that was a stretch for me. You know, it was like really mentally taxing to, to, Uh to get those steps down. And you'll see kids do this when they're tying shoes. You know, they, they, they get down on the ground.
1: They're really hyper-focused. Yeah.
0: Super focused. They're like, okay, grab this, (laughs) make the loop. It's like me
1: tying a tie now. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, so, you know, it, whereas, and again, it's sort of different because as adults, we've done it so many times. It's habitual, but it, it's a similar kind of thing. It's it's. There's so many steps. Well,
1: actually, to be fair, if you watch an adult trying to learn uh, how to play the piano, for example, yeah, like it feels that way. Sometimes. But I, w- I will say the um, even if you d- divorce it from the physical challenges, because clearly tying a shoe is a physical challenge. Yeah, but articulate. Yeah, like, if your mom or dad say. Go do this, then this, then this, then this. For, forget about it. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. I want you to this week. Yes. I want you to vacuum the house. No, no you lost me at this
1: week. <laughs> right, right. Oh, by the way, I have this memory. To, to see how funny it is that we put our adult selves in these memories of a, of a kid. So I have memories of being around three years old and being very annoyed of getting dressed. Because I, I, I remember my grandma dressing me. So, like, between three and four, I remember my, my grandma dressing me. And I remember feeling annoyed that I'm getting dressed up, right? But in my mind, I'm picturing me right now, like, my personality, being
0: annoyed that someone is dressing me. I mean, emotionally, <laughs> it might be very similar. Right. But in terms of your cognitive abilities... <laughs> of course. Yeah. It's just hilarious because,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm such a different little being. Yeah. But the memories stick... All the way through. It's almost like this connective tissue. That's that's the thing that gives me that sense of permanence. Right. And and I'm like, so I imagine myself, my personality of right now, feeling annoyed that my grandma's trying to dress me.
0: Yeah. I mean, all you got to do is think about the inane homework or classwork that you do in, like, you know, first to second grade to know that your brain worked differently back then. Totally. Because... You, you were challenged by things, you you liked doing things that you would yeah. never like doing as and, an adult.
1: And yet I have, right? Like I'm picturing right now me in first grade doing addition and in my head it feels hard. <laughs> it's right. weird. its right. it, is, it is, I've actually never really thought about this because I often look back and have memories, right? But I've never really appreciated just how much of a cognitive dissonance it is that the person that I am right now Feels like I can imagine all those things, right? And yet, of course, my brain right now wouldn't have that challenge, but I feel the challenge of adding those numbers,
0: right? I mean, it makes sense, right? right. We project our current self into that memory because right. it feels like it was us, but right. and it, but it was only part of us, so to speak. Yeah. Anyway, um, now in this second s- stage, there are two sub stages. Uh, I won't go into too much detail because I want to kind of race through this, but. Uh, basically, um, there's some, there's some nuance here. Like for example, the ability to discriminate. So when they, when you put five coins in one row and five coins in another row and you, and you put them in the exact same configuration, kids will say there's the same amount in both rows and then you extend, you stretch one row out and kids at this stage will be like, well, the longer row has more coins. Yeah. And it's this mistake. But actually, there's a famous Piaget study that found that kids between two and a half and three years old could actually discriminate between the two different rows yeah. because they hadn't developed the heuristic of length equaling um, more amount yet. So there's... <laughs> so, I see. So one thing was not getting in the way of the other. Right. And, <laughs> then, and then between three and four and a half kids had developed this shortcut of saying, well, if something is wider or bigger or taller, it has more things of it. In yeah. It. And then, so then they started screwing up that experiment. Right. And then by the time they're four and a half, they learn an additional, you know, logic right. or or knowing of the world, which is that just because something is longer or taller doesn't right. necessarily mean there's more things in it.
1: I, I actually saw a video on YouTube of uh, an experiment being done, uh, I don't know how old the little kid was, but it was this Piaget. It, it was the, in fact, it was the coin experiment. Uh, one thing I noticed that was interesting, going back to the whole semantics of it all, is yeah. So the kid was asked which one has more coins, and at first he said this one because that one was the the la- after she had stretched it. But but then when she asked the kid to count it, he goes, you know, count the bottom one, one, two, three, four, five. Okay, count the other one, one, two three, four, five. So then she said, which one has more coins? And he said something, and I'm paraphrasing, something like, well, it's the same number of coins, but that one is bigger. Right. And then, and then I think she asked again, so which one has more coins? And then he, he sort of went back to, the bigger one. Right. Even though he had counted the coins. Right. Be- right. Because
0: is he semantically meaning there's yeah. more or is he, right. is, does he think you're actually right. asking right. which one is longer? Right. You know, anyway. Uh, so go ahead. You know, I was just saying, and if we treat it
1: as a black box, it's sort of the effect is the same. You still don't have the ability to answer the question correctly to the standard that an adult can. Right. But under the hood what's actually happening maybe one or the other or many, many different things, right? right. Like, they, they might, in fact, push, if if really pressed from different angles, they might say, yes, there are five in each, but that one has more. And to us, that makes no sense. Right. But in their little head, it might make sense from a different way. Right. Just like you were just saying that the, the even younger ones say, well, yeah, they both have the same coins because they don't know. Like, it's, it's really weird, right? They yeah. don't know about the length thing. Right. <laughs> it's, it's it's really fascinating.
0: Yeah, it is fascinating. Yeah. The, these these different abilities that are so obvious to us as adults right. that they are actually learning in the same way that object permanence. We know that's a phenomenon yeah. that children develop, and it's so you know concrete. But then there's these other things that <laughs> we learn about n- numerics and about quantity. Yeah. that. Other animals don't have, you know what I mean? Animals don't have, or most animals don't have the ability to count, or even if they do, they can't count very high. And so it's just interesting, like, to see these commonalities. Anyway, let's take a break. When we get back. Let's continue with this phase. What do you say, Brito? Yep. All right. We're back from the break. Uh, we're still in stage two here of pre operational stage. But we're in the second sub sub stage called the intuitive thought sub stage. This is from four to seven years old. And this is when children want a lot of knowledge. In addition to being egocentric and illogical and stuff, they also want a lot of knowledge. And this is when they start asking, (coughs) (laughs) this is when they start asking why and how come. And uh, when I think about my own life, um, I definitely remember asking a lot of questions as a kid. I became known as sort of the logical kid, which is funny considering that I shouldn't have had logic at that age. But I was frequently trying to make sense of the world and in terms of physics and science. Uh Like I remember uh, we would go to the space needle and one of the things that they would say is don't drop anything off the space needle because even something as small as a penny will kill
1: someone because of gravity.
0: Right, if if <laughs> cuz you know it builds up so much speed it it can actually go through someone's skull. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and so um and I and I remember asking someone I was like, "Well, what if you dropped a quarter, would it would it do more damage or less damage?" Right. And no one knew the answer to that because it's it's actually kind of a complicated uh, question regarding momentum and And terminal velocity. Right. And drag. You know, a quarter has more drag, but it has more momentum. And how much more? Which metal is more malleable? Right. All those kinds of things. And, but I I tried to kind of logic it out. It's like, well, it would probably have the same. Like almost identical damage, but since the quarter is just slightly heavier at the last little bit of impact, or the you know the penny would slow down in the you know through the brain at some point, (laughs) and and the quarter would go like a little further, like a half a millimeter further because it's just a slightly a little bit heavier.
1: (laughs) And my family,
0: I just remember they all looked at me with like this astonishment, like. This tiny, you know, I was probably like four or five years yeah. old, and and everyone's just like, "What? It, it, what? Little Einstein? Yeah, Hercules, Hercules, <laughs> yeah." yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, another kind of example I can think of early in life was in kindergarten. I was fascinated with astronomy, and I, I would actually go to the astronomy section in our library oh. and like read the books. And there was this one book I totally remember. And uh, ended up buying later on, and I didn't understand most of it, but uh-huh. I just I just wanted to, like, know, you know, stars right. and planets and, and telescopes and stuff like that. Um, also, kid, during, kids during this time, their drawings are, are very symbolic. The, the way that they draw – you know, they'll draw yeah. Dada or they'll draw the dog or they'll draw themselves – and what they focus on are th- are the salient elements of the object, not the yeah. object itself.
1: Yeah, so it's the the metaphor in their head about what that object is,
0: and right? or what they pay attention to mostly. Sure. Yeah. So what 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 apparently kids pay most attention to is your face yeah. and your arms, right? Because your face has all this communication and everything, you know, it's like they're yeah. really focused on your face. And then your arms, because your arms do things, your arms give them things, That's or your right. arms pick them up or something. Your torso does it's, nothing. It's a line. Yeah, your torso gives nothing for them, because your torso doesn't get, you know, does yeah. there's no, you know, at the age of seven, there's and then your legs, maybe. So what you'll see kids do, there's this universal way that kids will draw humans, which is, the face and the torso is one thing. And right. then from, it's actually, they just draw a head. A head. With legs and arms. Yeah. But no body. Right. Um, and so, uh, so that's just a, a, but then later on, kids will actually draw. Right. You know, they'll try to actually represent the actual object itself. And so they'll draw a torso. And then
1: I saw a video of a child uh, drawing, maybe, a, maybe it was three or four or something, trying to draw a, a triangle. And he had a triangle in front. It wasn't set. He, they didn't say draw a triangle. They, they showed him a triangle and say, draw. Can you draw this shape or this triangle? And he basically drew uh, sort of a square with rounded corners and then drew extra points. But the points were like little lines at the edges because he said there's points, there. there's pointy parts. So, so it was sort of like a square, a rounded square with pointy parts. That was the
0: triangle. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Right. And when you look at that, you're just thinking, and then in the future, he'll absolutely be able to draw a triangle. triangle. So what is it about cognitive development, you know, these little tiny lessons that we learn yeah. about how to understand? You know, if an adult did that, you would say like, oh, there's he had a stroke or, the, or a, he has some developmental disability right. or, you know, what is it about our development that – you know all the tiny little lessons you learn about like how to understand a shape yeah okay and because in our in our adult minds we without understanding this stuff we're like well you just draw the shape it's not that hard but that denies the reality of development in terms of like you know and th- again i'm not an expert so this is me just taking some guesses around like when we're young we just see that we don't necessarily see that it has three sides because yeah. we haven't had the ability to count quickly or to classify things in that way. What we see is a, a shape. It is a closed. It's shape. A, a closed shape. Yeah, and and it has and it has three pointy. parts. It's got pointy parts. Yeah. So so if you describe that to someone, draw a shape with three pointy parts. You'd get a lot of different kind of shapes, right? right? You know, but if you said draw three. Identically long lines that are touching, you know, at each other's right. uh, ends, um, and and they're at an angle of thirty five degrees or whatever. Right. Um, you know, then it, there's a certain uh, each one of those things you have to say. You have to understand straightness. You have to understand sides. You right. have to understand numbers. You have to understand angles, you have to understand, like, orientation to, totally. to like, up and down, and, like, there's all these different things that eventually converge on you being able to represent that image in your own drawing. That's right.
1: And what's, what's underappreciated, because as humans, as adult humans, we take for granted all these capabilities we have, right? Um, so, but if you think, okay, so animals that don't have human capabilities are certainly capable of very complex motions. And behaviors, but they're not—they're not consciously aware. Uh, they certainly sort of couldn't draw those out. Like if you asked a cheetah, "Hey, can you draw out the the chase pattern you just followed?" Because it looks pretty complex. They can't, of course, right? right? But this little kid already has the ability to recognize and then re- recreate that it is a closed object yeah. and it's got features. Right. That's pretty advanced. It's super advanced. Right now. The other thing is even adults that are not trained in art or are not good innate uh, drawers, uh, which is most people really. Um, if you if you tell them, even if you show them, but let alone if you tell them, draw a cat, it's it's not going to look great because what they're going to do is they're going to try to draw what in their head is cat, and so they'll be like, oh, I don't know, it's got ears and the thing. But if you instead tell them, hey, look at this picture. Now, I don't want you to think of drawing a cat. I want you to just copy lines curves, points, and try to replicate those aspects. They will by and large, not everyone, but by and large, draw a better cat. Unless they're a really trained artist in which they they kinda go through that process already innately, but or sorry, by all their practice. But but the point is that the the average human is trying to not draw what they're seeing, but they're trying to draw their metaphor of a cat in their head, which doesn't actually come out looking very cat like. Right. But if they're just trying to do a more mechanistic copying behavior then it it comes out looking more like the thing they're copying.
0: Right. So that kind of alludes to the critique we were talking about earlier in terms of you take that same kid that you Mm -hmm. saw in that video – and you teach him for a couple hours on how right. to represent a triangle, and he'll be able to do it. And then that'll generalize to being right. able to c- duplicate other kinds of shapes. Yeah. So is it of his time or of his circumstances in terms of what he's been trained to do? You know? and,
1: and clearly, if there's a three-year swing based on whether you've had education and you live in an in a, in a urban area or you've had very little education and you live in a mountain area – then obviously there's a lot more to it than just the the number of years,
0: right? Right. Yeah. Uh, but it is an ability that yeah. you will yeah. just innately get even without education. Yeah, you know? Exactly. Like, right. Yeah. You, you a completely uneducated dude yeah. can draw a triangle. You know. It's it's so it's there's something about normal right. development. Anyway.
1: By, by the way, I, I wonder one thing about. Uh, I was thinking about how much TV, just and I'm not even talking video games or literally just television. When when you're a child and you don't have television, the only examples of human behavior and correlations and things are what's around you and what you see the adults doing. So in terms of number of scenarios and variables, it's that set. But when you're watching television, there's an explosion where now you see Adults and children and re- and metaphor representations of both and or animals, in all sorts of contexts and cases yeah. and behaviors and things. Particularly today with all the children's TV, right? So like instead of the child by the age of ten having only seen pretty much adults work in the barn during the day and I get fed at this time, and this is what happens. They've seen people in space, historical accounts, talking animals, yeah. any number of things. Right. So that's got to have had an effect on cognitive development, yeah. and s- speed, and, and you
0: know all these things. Yeah, I think studies have shown that, and uh, when you throw in iPads and stuff, right. like, you get additional uh, sort of acceleration of understanding yeah. of, of, of things. Now, you could argue that, the kids who grew up on the farm are like really fucking good at farming like, yeah. when they're older, you know, <laughs> right. 10,000 uh, hours, <laughs> <laughs> um, as opposed to being really good on their phone. <laughs> uh, the, the third Piaget phase is concrete, the concrete operational phase. This is from seven to 11. Uh, this is when you can start to actually think logically, but not as well as you can later on. For example, children, seven to 11 can now accurately answer the liquid in quarters test. Right. So they have the ability to understand, oh, well, just because you extended them out doesn't mean there's more in this row. There's still yeah. only five. Um, also, another uh, experiment that you, you can run kids through is you say, a, if a feather can break a bottle, if, if a, you know, so, you know, a feather can break a bottle, mm-hmm. you know. Um, if, if Johnny hits a bottle with a feather, what happens? Younger kids will say, well it doesn't break the bottle cuz feathers can't break bottles. But older kids will say, oh well I get it. You're you're saying that you you started with the premise that feathers can break bottles. So, so if using
1: if, your premise, I will Yeah,
0: using yes. a logical, yes. you know, A and then B. Yeah. Um yeah, the feather breaks the bottle. That's what according to your world, that's what right. happens.
1: So in other words, the the younger child is not able to create a little play world to then apply
0: logic within. Exactly, I see. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like they're two separate. They're not logically connected, right? You know, that's what logic is. It's like connected, uh, right. connected things. That you statement know? you made, great. That was cute and funny. This Mo- other statement, moving on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, for example, uh, the, when I try to, th- I remember much more about my life seven to eleven. Yeah. And the only thing I can really think of that has to do with this is. I played a lot of board games, and I also started playing Dungeons & Dragons around this time. And there's a lot of fucking rules to Dungeons yeah. & Dragons. Wow, that's young to...
1: Yeah, that's a, a lot to digest it. Yeah, that <laughs> and
0: also uh, we played Risk. And I remember right. there, there's a fair amount of rules to Risk, too. Sure. And I'd played neither one of those games accurately. <laughs> like uh, We basically, me and my friends, just completely made up a, you know our own 11-year-old version of those <laughs> things because... What I would, I would, I tried to understand risk. I tried to understand dozens of dragons. Like,
1: ah, screw it. Let's just do this. But I
0: couldn't get it. Like, I would read the instructions. I was just like, I do not understand what they're trying to tell me here, you know? (laughs) Now, you could say it's just like uh, an unfamiliarity with language and technical writing or something. But anyway. I remember, I, um, I have a recording when I
1: was, uh, I was five. No, no, I, no, no. I was younger than that. No, of course, duh. I was like three. I, I, I was three, and I was in the car with my dad, and he used to record me a lot, because probably because he was a child psychiatrist, right? But he would record me a lot. So I, I actually have. Do conversations. you still have these? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Um. I unfortunately I don't have as many as he made. Yeah, because he like lost well. them or something, or maybe he still has many of them. But I have, I have several. Yeah, quite a few. And it's really interesting. Have you digitized them? I have started to, yeah. I've, I've done several tapes already. Save them as digital. So we're sitting there in the car, and I'm talking about... He's like, well, okay, when we get home, you got to drink your milk or whatever, right? And I'm like, I don't want to drink my milk. You know? No, I don't want to drink my milk. And then my dad goes, oh, okay. Well, that's that's fine. That, that's too bad, though, because... um I know you love Indians, right? Native Americans. I know you love Indians and, uh, they drink their milk. Exactly. He's like, and you know, Indians are very strong and very smart. And, and you know, it's funny because they, they actually love milk, but, but you know, it's okay. You know, you don't have to drink. milk. And then a little silence goes by. We're driving. And then as if it's my idea, I go, daddy, when I get home, I want to drink milk so I can be strong like Indians. Yeah. Right. And it, and I present it as, this has not, no bearing I don't know what you were talking about dad
0: uh, but anyways <laughs> brand new statement <laughs> yeah so actually that's really that's a really good because parents do that all the time right. with their kids They and, and eventually it doesn't work right, right. but when the kids are young y- you can say something like would you rather pick up the toys in this way or would you rather pick up the toys in this other way right and, and so they, you think you have a choice and the kids <laughs> and, the, and it's tricking a kid into being like oh Oh, I get to choose. Well, I want to yeah. do it this way, and you're like, "Good choice, <laughs> good choice." Let's do it that. And the kid's right. like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. The whereas, is if you, <laughs> whereas, if you just ask a kid, pick do, up the toys. Do, do you want to pick up? They'll be like, "No, no." Be, and, and so, <laughs> c- parents use this this uh, you know cognitive inability all the time to trick their kids. Right. I remember doing this when I got a little older,
1: and I, my cousin was visiting. She was. M- little she was probably three actually (laughs) three or four and i was uh, a few years older Uh, i was old enough that i i was able to start applying this trick to get her to eat her veggies or whatever it was so i remember doing basically copying my dad being like well you know such and such or your dolly i, I, I don't remember what i used but it worked and i was like so proud of myself i'm like <laughs> oh, i got my little cousin to eat her veggies
0: <laughs> so again in this seven to eleven uh concrete operational stage kids begin to have some logic but they're not as good as it as, as later on they're no longer egocentric, actually. This is a massive change from previous stages in that they can now see things from other people's point of view. Mm. When, the, when the when the person leaves the room and you put the ball in the other thing and the person comes back in and you say, where is it? Where do yeah. they think it is? They're, they're going to be like, oh, well, they, they think it's in the other thing because they yeah. didn't see us move it. That's a pretty big uh, ability that really translates into a lot of things. Empathy. Right. The ability to... Um, really understand someone else's mind to try to, try to help them to care about their experience, you know, Um, to not be so egocentric, you know? Yeah. Um, They also improve their skills of classification in terms of, you know, take these 10 random objects and classify them, put them into different groups, you know? And so people take all the square things and put it in a group and all the round things. Whereas, younger kids can't do that very well right oh by the way um it's interesting how uh you can
1: you could keep going with these stages uh especially if you if refine them because certainly adults not all adults are at the same stage right and not all uh, you definitely even keep going through different stages as an adult uh, but then when you start considering what what computers can do in, in different ranges, um, it's it's also interesting. So, for example, uh, take the, the idea of if you are going to program rules into a computer to tell it how to recognize a cat, uh, as humans, our abilities stop there. We, we actually can't. We don't have – we're not smart enough to want to know what are all those rules that we should use to say what – what makes a cat a cat right so a biologist certainly could say well I, cats have this kind of dna thing that's a, but meaning as a i'm going to show you a picture of a cat a human would say things like oh well it should have whiskers they like, well what are whiskers oh well i don't know cur- sort of curvy lines that uh, and then quickly the average adult is done like you can't progress further you're like well i think I you're mistaking
0: know. rote knowledge of re- of like you know Of scientific classifications that other scientists have made, and like the innate ability to classify things.
1: No, no, no. What? what, Sorry. What I'm saying is that, um, you know that a cat is a cat when you see it. Yeah. Right. So your brain learned how to classify cat. Yeah. Right. But our human abilities. If, If you
0: grew up seeing cats. If you grew up. seeing
1: Uh. But our our human abilities do not extend into being able to explain. Why you're classifying a cat like that? No, we could do it at a gross level. We could say, well, I mean, it's got whiskers and it's got the nose and it's four, but it's bipedal and or sorry, quadrupedal and and it's got like sort. Of, we can do all those things, but as soon as if you were trying to turn that into a heuristic that a, a computer could follow, it would classify all oh, sorts yeah. of
0: things incorrectly. No, no, no. But yeah. computers, that's one thing they've learned, right? Is like trying to teach a computer through human classification exactly. how to categorize things is like because we don't when,
1: actually know how to do it <laughs> well we
0: do we just do it in a way that we can't verbalize
1: right. we sorry our brain clearly mastered the pattern but our verbal has no and, and our logic part of our brain right. is
0: not aware of like, how that works you know most humans yeah. who have seen dogs and cats can of the time classify a dog versus a cat. You try to strong arm a computer to understand the difference between a dog and a cat, and it will not be able to do it. But you give it its own ability to to, train itself in a very similar way. And
1: and, and even some of the smartest amongst us, like, uh, I don't know which justice it was, I don't know how smart they are, but clearly justices of the Supreme Court are smart individuals in many ways. Uh, The famous statement about pornography... Right. I can't tell you what it is, but I know it when I see it. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, you know, it sounds ridiculous, and when it's used in this sort of funny way, it is ridiculous, but a lot of things in law are that. It's yeah. just—and we don't like that because right. we'd like things to be concrete, but a lot of things are actually uh, with that understanding of just like, well, the way that the courts are ruling today is we're saying this, you know, anyway— yeah. Um, also, people at this stage, from seven to eleven, they no longer think inanimate objects have human minds. So you could yeah. take you could take a doll, maybe not their doll, but a doll, and yeah. you could you know say, "What if I threw this in the fire? Would that be a bad thing?" And they'd be like, "Well, no. I mean, it's 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 there's, yeah. it's an inanimate object." Whereas kids younger than that will be like terrified. Oh, no, right, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, the last stage, formal operation stage, age 11 to 16. This is when children develop abstract thought. This is when we develop our adult understandings of things. Yeah. We can handle tasks with several steps, like going to graduate school right. or a, a you know a month-long project that we do in, in high school. We can think and plan for the future. Uh, children who are younger than 11 have a really hard time with that. Right. Um, we're much better with logic we can basically develop hypotheses we can we we understand logical sequences yep. we know how to experiment like you take a 15 year old and their phone isn't turning on and you just ask them like why do you think your phone isn't turning on and they'll say they'll just say something well uh, maybe it doesn't it? Maybe it doesn't have any battery power. You know, like I didn't charge it. So, and you're like, how, how do you know? How would you have? How would you be able to figure that out? They're like, well, if I plug it in and it starts to charge, then I'll right. know that it it'll say like zero battery. And, and so so that's all logical understanding. That's deep, yeah. super complicated. Like yeah. basically the foundation of our scientific uh, process, right. right there. It's just like the ability to to develop an hypothesis to to observe. And through um, past experience and even, like, if a new situation completely you've never seen before, like, say there's a new object, like some kind of um, car that a kid has never seen before, and you're just like, it doesn't turn on, why do you think it doesn't turn on? They'll be like... Well, based on other objects that use electricity, I'm guessing it it maybe the battery's dead. Right. How would you find out? Well, maybe you'd plug it in and see if the dash comes like the ability to translate into all these other areas is just like this super complicated brain power that younger ki- kids do not have. Right. You know, you give the kid uh, the the phone and you say, like, you know, what's wrong? They're just like, I don't know. Mom usually fix that for (laughs) me or something. Or or, or they'll have one answer to that. They'll be like, well, it's broken. Well, like, you know, what what do you think? Like, they they might say, like, well, it needs to be charged. And then you say, well, what if you plug it in and it doesn't work? They'll be like, I don't know, you know, instead of, like, well... Maybe it's dead. Maybe the th- maybe maybe it's not a real phone. Maybe you know, like uh, older kids will be able to like they they'll ex- they have the ability to really extend into the abstract world. Like, well, let me take some guesses here. You know what yeah. I mean? So, um, the example from my life that I can think about it, that I, I'm wondering what you think about this because it sounds like you might have had a similar childhood was. That in my early childhood, computers were just starting to become common or common enough that I had access to them, like mm-hmm. Commodore 64, this kind of thing.
1: Oh. Did you have a Commodore 64?
0: No, but Chris Glover did. Oh. And when I went over to his house for like sleepovers, like I would just dominate his Commodore 64. Oh, I, would, I had Commodore 64 envy because my
1: cousin had one. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool!
0: And I just remember you could actually save programs totally on a on a cassette tape. Yep that that would <laughs> never actually work to get it back onto the Commodore sixty four. Oh, no. Like it would spend like twenty minutes recording my my programs, and then the next day I'd go back and it <laughs> and would it be it'd work. be gone. You know, anyway. <sighs> um, but I remember when I when I was thinking about this episode, I was thinking, well, I mean, I guess it, it's possible I could draw this conclusion is that. When I was in the 5th and 6th grade, I was programming in BASIC. Right. And my programs were, for lack of a better pun, very basic. basic yeah. Like, my, my aspirations and my understanding of, of what was possible in programming was totally linear. It was I, just...
1: I like, by the way, how you've resigned yourself to the, we're going to use a pun. It's just that I didn't
0: have a better pun. <laughs> <laughs> and so my, my programs were... Ten, you know, blah blah blah. C L S. Twenty, you know. Print hello world. Print, you know, fuck off, teacher. Uh, Thirty, uh, go, you know. Go, to 20, go yeah. to twenty. you know. Or it was just very 20, yeah. rudimentary. But by the time I was in um, eighth grade and ninth grade, I was I was starting to program in Pascal, uh-huh. which of course I don't think people use anymore. But it's like early C. Uh, plus language right it's like yeah. it's the ability to, to create subscripts and yep. and you know different programs within programs and a, a, an easy way to kind of organize yeah. all that in uh, a visual format that it doesn't completely like yeah and basically it was very linear and to do to do you could how you how could this- you could do modules in the program, but sure. it would. But it was the visual way it looked. It, you couldn't differentiate. Like go to
1: one thousand.
0: Yeah, and then <laughs> you'd have to scroll down to one thousand exactly. And, you know, and so with Pascal, you could actually create these like little these little Functions. sub sub things and and I, my uh, ability to get that was. Um, was only there because my brain had developed more. Yeah. Whereas when I was in the fifth and sixth grade, I I am guessing I did. I mean, it's hard for me to know because I wasn't exposed to it. But I am guessing I wouldn't have understood it. You know. Right. I remember er, I remember learning early if then statements like in sixth and seventh grade and and kind of getting it and going like oh that's interesting. But by the time I was doing Pascal in ninth grade, like I fully got it. You mm-hmm. know, I was like oh I get it. This is how you actually create the you know. Any you can do anything in this, right. you know the, the 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 possibilities are Every you know that if you do it big enough and you spend enough time, like you you could do anything in this sort of format. Right, right, you right. Know? and so uh, do you have any thoughts? Because you it sounds like you were programming at that. Oh age. yeah,
1: I mean, let's see. What uh, my grandpa got a Radio Shack calculator that was the kind where you could write basic programs. It was wide. It was a wide calculator with a little wide display. It was a uh, Radio Shack um, I forget the model but it was it was so beautiful by the way it was like oh shiny metallic and then the buttons had colors and oh my god so when he got it I was like oh my god and I got so lucky because my grandpa was like eh, I don't know what to do with this right <laughs> so he like gave it to my dad and my dad was like uh, I don't know what to do with this so here you might want this right how old were you but I, I mean it was still my grandfather's but I got to use it uh, that's what I'm trying to remember I think I must have been
0: 10. Okay. It sounds about right.
1: Yeah. And so, and it came with a little manual and it was how to write basic programs. Oh my God, I got obsessed. And so imagine you're writing the 10, all those things, but you have one line <laughs> yeah. of display at a time. Yeah. So that was even, so actually, but it was a great tool. T- like I had to learn how to keep things in my mind right. about, and then keep the logic in my head and all these things. Yeah.
0: That's my very first word processor. I had a typewriter that, could actually remember a whole document, but it had, it had one it, line. One line.
1: <laughs> I remember those. So that was my first exposure. And then I got a computer. My, my aunt brought down with her a color a Tandy color computer. Mm. And that's when I was like, I think I was 11.
0: Tandy what? Do you remember what model? Oh,
1: no, no, no. I got the calculator when I was nine because she brought the thing down when I was 10.
0: Do you remember that's the Tandy was. model? Yeah, it was a color computer. Oh, it was color, so it was... The color it was,
1: Computer 1.
0: Oh, okay. And it, was, we, it was sold we, by Radio Shack. Because in 7th and 8th grade in our junior high, we had what we called Trash 80s, which were right. TS-80s. That's the, the Trash 80s, like the precursor to the Color Computer. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and then
1: the Color Computer had Color Computer 1, 2, and 3. I had the 1, and then later my mom bought me 3. Yeah. Color Computer 3 was near the power of Commodore 64, Oh, but really? yeah, but the Commodore 64 still had a way better sound system
0: oh. because because it uh, played video games.
1: Well, the, the art minded too, but the difference is the audio system in the color computers could only do one sound at a time. Oh. The color the, the Commodore 64 had a multi-channel sound system.
0: Oh. It had
1: a multi-channel sound processor, so. It was awesome. Like, so do
0: you remember so, cognitive abilities at correlating with age for you along those lines?
1: Definitely because, so as an example, I, I had struggled so much with these sort of like mathematical operational things. And I remember right around sixth grade is when I started realizing that I liked understanding the, the whys of math and I started getting into like like oh why does this work what is that and I started reading like proofs you know like how do you prove theorems and things like that and so i remember right around that age i started so like getting that like oh okay there's reasons for it. I, that's what it was it was there are reasons for things mm. it's like before that i i feel like it was more of Arbitrary rules. That, yeah, like that adults, I'm in a class. I have to memorize something. yeah. And then right around that age, I started realizing, oh, there's underlying reasons. I don't know what language I would have... I, I certainly wouldn't have been aware that I was aware of that. But when, when I'm looking back thinking, that's what got interesting for me all of a sudden was that this fascination of like, why? Why is this? And what does that lead to? Hmm. And yeah, it was right around sixth or... Yeah, sixth grade, seventh grade, then...
0: So an, a, another uh, piece from my childhood that I think exhibits this this final stage uh, for me was of the op- formal operational stage where you can you know plan for the future yeah. and and ex- understand several steps in a task was uh, when I would I, I was I loved playing Dungeons and Dragons and also, and games like it and there's this game uh, called James Bond role playing game ah. Huh? Yeah, and it, and it and it basically tries to recreate the whole James Bond world, you know. Oh my god! And so that and sounds it, fun now. Yeah, it's like D and D for James Bond, and and James Bond totally lends itself to D and D because like totally. there's like these fantastical feats that you have, sure. you know, like you jump off a thing and you just <laughs> roll, you just man it, you just man. And, they and they had these things called like I can't remember the points, but there were like James Bond points where. If you uh, if you misrolled something, or you just wanted to do something totally awesome, you could spend one, <laughs> of, course. one of these points and just Only be like, "James
1: Bond could do that."
0: Right? I want to be able to like throw this bomb, and I want it to like manage to blow up all five <laughs> boats at once. You know. And it was up to the game master to be like, "Yeah, yeah okay, that'll work." And he, but, but you'd only get like one or two of those at sure. a time. You They're know? like
1: ninjas in, in samurai swords.
0: So, but anyway, so 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 the 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 evidence that I have around my ability to understand several steps was that I would have friends come over, and I would have the VHS of a James Bond movie, uh, and so I would I would so I would have this whole intro of just like, okay, so make your character blah, blah. And then I'd be like, okay, so this is what starts. And then, you know, M tells you to go to this thing and then you go to this thing and they're, and they're, and what do you do? And they're like, okay, well we go to, into this room and I'll be like, okay, so let's go upstairs to the living room. We're gonna pop in the James Bond movie, and we're gonna watch the scene. And so we'd watch actually. what I mean, this is what happens to you, right? You know what I mean? And then uh, a fight would start, and then I'd pause it, and then we would go back downstairs and be like, "Okay, let's work out the fight." You know, That's and funny. like I would have to plan. This right. is this is me at twelve years old.
1: Yeah, you would have to plan a lot for that.
0: planning a, a be, you know a whole event that coordinates yeah. with an actual movie of James Bond. And I would have to route them in that direction because if they're like, ah, we're going to go in this other direction, I'd have to go, I'd have to somehow get them back because it's yeah. an open world. They can do whatever they want. Right. And it involved knowing kind of about how MI6 operates and like CIA <laughs> and like, you know, uh, Spectre and all right. this kind of stuff. But, but anyway, like that, that I'm sure I wasn't able to do when I was 10. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: For me, one of the memories it was around Legos because What would happen is I would plan – I would plan what I was – it was like a Saturday, right? And I – oh, actually, usually what would happen is a break would hit. Like Holy Week was a week-long break, right? And and I would get these ideas in my head of like, okay, I am going to make an exhibit this week for my Legos. And so I'm going to build – And I, and I had in my mind several different pieces of Lego or several installations. And, and so I would start planning. Okay. And I knew roughly how many pieces I, not. The the number, but like sort of the volume, volume and qual. I I almost had memorized how many of each kind I had. I had this drawer full, and it was a pretty big drawer. And so I'm like, all right, I think I can make one of these, and I can probably make one of those. Might start running out of pieces for this. When I- Did you
0: have a mixture of space and regular? Yes,
1: space yeah. was one of the big quantities, but I had a few other things. In I there. had
0: way more regular. Oh really? Yeah, the the just the generic okay. colored
1: bricks. I, I don't know why, but well. I, I remember getting more of the space ones. Mm. So I, I did that and I remember and I would plan them and then they would sort of come to fruition the way I sort of had imagined them. And I would make, and then I'd have my, my poor dad and grandma had to sit there and listen to all my explanations as I guided (laughs) them through the museum tour of all my things. And that was around 10 years old, you know, 10, 11, (laughs) where, uh, probably 10 years old because, because by, by, by 11 and 12, I was doing a lot less Legos and a lot more um, Lego computer stuff.
0: It's We don't say Legos. Oh, I'm sorry. Lego. Lego.
1: I was doing a lot more Lego. Uh, I've always said Legos. That's, I know. That's, it doesn't so sound bizarre. right. But, 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 but anyways, that required some planning that mm-hmm. I, I remember as, as a younger yeah. child, I probably couldn't have pulled off or, yeah. or even thought to do.
0: Do you have anything that reminds you of playing with Lego or Legos? Uh, oh, yeah. Cool. Totally.
1: So first... Uh, do you mean like m- m- fond memories I have or things that trigger memories? Trigger. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there are certain TV shows that I associate with building... Like, Lagos what? like what? Like uh, Colombian TV shows? No, no, no. Uh, 80s TV shows specifically. Uh, so eight, uh, eighteen. A- a- v, The Final Battle specifically. <laughs> v, The Final Battle because I remember that was sort of a long series, right? Yeah. And I remember... And, and actually each episode was like an hour long which was unusual because a lot of those shows were half hour long. Yeah. So I remember sitting there on Saturday... Building my Legos while V the Final Battle was on.
0: Yeah, for me, it's Boston, the, f- the first album, you know. More than okay. a feeling. Because okay. my brother would listen to vinyl. I see. And for some reason, he must have been really into that album while I was really into making Legos because I just remember him blasting that oh. in the basement and then me being in the room. And so whenever I hear, like last night, I heard a Boston song and instantly it reminded me of playing with Legos. Nice. Um, another sort of the final example I give about this ability to to make huge plans and to <laughs> just to have lots of steps was when my dad got a video camera, um, and I started making movies right like right away. I started I started experimenting with movies, and pretty quickly, and I hadn't thought about it till you know prepping for this. That what I was able to do was something that is evidence of this of this new cognitive skill. Because we didn't have an editing machine. We didn't have computers. Right. And so we just had a VCR basically with yep. a camera attached to it. And you would press record and then you'd press pause. And so, um, and whenever you pressed pause, whenever, you know, so you, you, you pressed go and you pressed stop. When you do that on your phone, it, you know, it starts. It's <laughs> yeah, it's instant. But back then, when you pressed go, it would take a second for the VCR to kind of kick in. Right. And then when you press stop, it would take a second for it to stop, and for some reason, it would rewind the tape slightly. Right. So if if you if you needed an exact cut, <laughs> you needed to actually time the off button at right at the right time. And so I liked to make I wanted to make movies, right? And so we would do parodies on like Rambo or Ra- Raiders of the Lost Ark or something. And, but we would involve like Mr. Potato Head and stuff, right. you know, and I would have, I would sort of write a script in my head and then I would have to get costumes and like mm-hmm. get actors. My friends were always my actors. And then I would, I would have to uh, actually film the scenes in order. Mm. and i couldn't go back right and i and so it took it was so many steps now these were not very good movies they were not very good productions <laughs> cuz i had no idea what right I was.
1: but but you had to sequence out right. a ton of stuff
0: and you couldn't watch it until you were all done and sometimes it would take us all day long from right. like from like you know 10 in the morning until 8 at night to, and some of them are funny cuz you can tell the sun was going down because like <laughs> the suddenly the scenes like really dark you know and and you know that's just another piece of evidence that i that i probably i know i couldn't done if i was 8 years old in fact my little brother who is 7 years younger than me would often try to do very similar things that I was doing. And he was, you know, when I think about the things he was doing when we first got the video camera was evidence that he couldn't really conceive of of the larger picture the way that I could at the age of like 15 or something. But anyway, so just to wrap up some of the critiques here again, um, he kind of proposed discrete stages at times. He, he, he sort of, got a little bit more nuanced it later on his career. So that's one kind of critique. Um, uh, Culture and training obviously play a role. And the thing that I'll say is that contemporary people or neo-Piozians actually totally understand these critiques and will incorporate. So, you know, the same way that I'm a Freudian, um, I absolutely understand that a lot of the right. things Freud said does not make sense. Right. That, that that doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. Any final things about Piaget, Bruno?
1: I have rediscovered – I actually have to thank you because through this process, I have done more research for this episode than I usually do for any episode.
0: Well, because I asked you because I, right. I, I was like – I kind of need you to look into it because if you want to talk about it. So
1: I I wanted to say two things. One of them is that in general, I I would like to do more like this where you give me a topic and I don't become an expert, of course, but I go do some research and so I, I have more to say about it right so it's, it's kind of fun the yeah.
0: second thing is so just to chime in on that yeah i used to think in the beginning of this podcast that that's how this would go down right that you and i would do an equal amount of prep sure and i would try to get you to do prep in the beginning and you would not do prep yeah. or not enough prep right
1: no no and sometimes not not any, and, any it ha-
0: and it has to do with that thing in terms of like the long-term planning
1: definitely that but it also had to do with my conception of the podcast was very different like right. you thought it would be more chatty. But yeah, I like I'm, like I was like, I don't know. I'm just here. We're doing this for fun. Whatever, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Um whereas Which was which is great. I think right. that's a right. it's a great combo, right. you and me, in that way. Whereas now I'm thinking now like Now you well, want to break that good combo. No, I just want to So I'll just show up and I'll just start <laughs> chatting.
1: I want to give you the ability to task me a little more with like this was an example of like, yeah, I mean, I didn't do 40 hours of research, but I did research. I watched quite a bit of it and it was fun. But the other thing is that I actually have a renewed interest in child developmental study, not to like go into a brand new career because frankly, I love French uh, love studies or whatever, romantic French stuff. But uh, what I'm saying is that I actually, as a result of this, I, I now started kind of binge watching interesting things about ch- child development and all these things. And so huh. I'm, I'm happy this happened because I'm like excited okay. about it. <laughs> well,
0: so in the future, because normally I will reserve topics for you that allow your chatty, non-prepared self to be involved we should, in. We
1: should definitely still have that.
0: But I'll ask you if if I'm prepping for something else, yeah. if you want to actually yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, okay. Some some of them
1: work better if I actually haven't prepped at all, because then right. you get like there's been many of that. That part of the point is to get my sort of like off the cuff surprise reactions to yeah. things. Uh, so I'm thinking more like uh, specific topics that are you know sort of interesting to me, or that I could that I could maybe contribute a little bit more if I
0: do some research, right? Yeah. So, anyways. So um, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. And please take care of yourself because you deserve it.